Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send us an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. In today's message, Pastor Chad Gilligan gives us a great reminder that Jesus is the head of the church. This message will show us that if Jesus isn't Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. Yeah, my name is Jake Tyler, and uh, I'm actually the head groundskeeper here for the Toledo Mud Hens. Uh, my wife and I and my one daughter, Riley, we moved to Toledo in the fall of 2004. And uh, with my background, it was really hard to get uh, involved in the church. And my grandparents, you know, had me up every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and, you know, had me in church, hands between my legs, you know, just sitting up straight, not saying a thing. And, um, it kind of, you know, turned me off from the church by the time I was about 14. I just didn't really feel a lot of connection. It, you know, it seemed, it seemed like it was more of a, you know, just a, something you had to do versus something that, you know, you should want to do and, and take it your way. My daughter went to the daycare out at Glendale when we first moved here, and it was, uh, you know, it was kind of our first step back into a church after a long time of, of not going to church. It was an Easter Sunday, and... Uh, you know, my wife and I were like, kind of, kind of gave the, yeah, we probably ought to, ought to go to church. You know, it's Sunday. You know, you, you got to go to church on Easter Sunday. And we said, well, we'll go to Calvary. You know, that's where Riley was going to the daycare. And uh, walked in on the Easter service, and we had a great time. People of the church were, were, were great to us, and we enjoyed it. And we, we started going to Calvary, you know, infrequently throughout, you know, the next couple of years. And, you know, then we just really started falling in love with the church, the people, and thought it was something that, you know, fit us really, really well. Once we saw uh, the good that came out of the church and the good of being involved in the church, you know, and I, you know, has, has meant a lot to us, you know, and I think that's what actually coming into the facility, coming to go into church has done for us. It gives us that, that sense of uh, being touched and, and knowing that there's other people in our same, in our same position, in our same boat that want to gain the same things that we do. And be able to come together in a group like that is, is, is huge for us. And then, of course, the, the move to Conant Street um, came up. And, you know, I think we were all a little, my wife and I were a little nervous about the changes that were going to come. And, um, you know, whether it was going to be a little, you know, too intense for us or if it was going to stay the same. And, you know, we were just blessed with uh, having a church that we could go to that we enjoyed. And, and, what, and what the church at Conant Street now has done is, blessed our family in a long ways and it's done a lot that you know I don't think we ever even could have imagined how how much a church would affect of our lives and, and our children's lives we married for 14 13 14 years and um, in the last three to four years it's brought a, a, a new connection to our lives that we never had before being able to sit together listening to the same sermon together and, and see how the sermon affects our everyday life and the small things that, that come up that you know affect the way we raise our children together and the same values that we can come together with to raise the children and, and be able to be there side by side and do that has been you know has been a really integral part to our, our marriage and our spiritual life as well. Looking at the disappointment in my in our kids' eyes on those one Sundays, you know, either we're out of town or, or working that we can't get to church and especially my daughter Riley has been in Ignite. I know the church has touched her in quite a way that you know, it makes me so happy to, to see what it's done for her. You know, everything from the Ignite group to Summer Blast and, and how it how it really reaches everybody and touches everybody. Uh, you know, it's just been phenomenal. Isn't it fun to hear how God uses the church to bring life change to people? 
It's awesome. Jake, thanks for sharing your family's story with us, and uh, sure appreciate that, and so cool to hear how God is uh, doing things in people's lives. I, I don't know. I, what I'm about to say will sound like it came from the Hallmark Channel, so forgive me for just a minute. Is that all right? Apparently, I must have stumbled on a Lifetime movie at some point that impacted. I'm going to get all... I, I have this unique seat, and I, this didn't happen first service, but I'm watching you watch that. And, uh, and some of you, um, I hope you must have had a long night, but some of you, um, <laughs> I'm watching you watch that, and it just reminds me how cool the church is. You know, what God has given to us in his body and I'm looking out, and I know your stories, and I know the way that you interact with each other, and I know the way that you encourage one another. I know the difference that Jesus has made in your life. And I'll be really honest with you, knowing what I'm about to say in these next few moments that I think the Spirit's speaking to us. Some of you, I'm just going, I'm just so glad you're here. The, the next two weeks, what we're going to talk about is what Jake reminded us of today, and that's the power of the church how important the church is, and what an integral part of God's plan it is. And, and I'm just so glad that you're here today in church. And as we'll see next week, church isn't a building. It's not a thing we do. The church is the body of Jesus Christ. And uh, it is, to be quite honest, what he affirms for us in his word as the hope of the world. And I'm just thrilled that you're part of it. So if you have your Bible's church, would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1 this morning? Ephesians chapter 1, we have uh, been in a series. In fact, next week we'll wrap up a series of messages that we've called Stories. Out of Ephesians chapter 1, we have been looking at the stories of some people in the church and what God has done in their lives, and uh, we are looking at the church in Ephesus. In the last few times, we have looked at a prayer that Paul prayed for this church. Paul, the apostle, loved this church in Ephesus. He started it. He spent two years there longer than he spent in any of the other churches that he planted. He, he knew these people. He loved these people. He invested in their lives. And so now, years later, he knows he'll never see them again. He's sitting in a prison in Rome, and he is writing them this letter. And at the end of chapter one, he begins this prayer. And it's a prayer that we looked at over the last few weeks. It's a prayer that Paul prayed for the church that he loved. And here's what he said, Ephesians chapter one, verse 15. And hopefully this is a reminder of where we've been the last few times in this series. Paul says, for this reason... Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That same power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Paul prays this powerful prayer for the church that he loves because he wants them to experience everything they can of who God is and his power in their life. And we've walked through that prayer and what it's meant over the last few weeks. And then when he closes it out, he closes it out with these next two verses. He specifically talks about the church. We're going to spend the next two weeks looking at these two verses. And let me, before I read them, let me, let me just give some context to this. Because as I was studying this week, one commentary that I read said that these verses by many people could be viewed as irrelevant. That, that it's almost like theological filler. Like it's Paul's on a roll and he doesn't quite know when to stop. <laughs> so he just brings it in for a landing with these couple of phrases. But there's so much more here 
He talks about the church. He actually talks directly to you and me. And I want you to hear what he says here. Ephesians chapter one, verses 22 and 23. As he's bringing this prayer to a conclusion, Paul says, and God placed all things under his feet, under Jesus' feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. He tells us two things here in this uh, passage of scripture. And let me just start here. What we're gonna look at today, it's really simple. I mean, for a lot of you, um, it's probably not anything that's new. In fact, if you've been around church for any season of time, I'm sure it's things that you've heard before. In fact, truth is, you've probably heard me say it before. But I just feel like this simple message is something that God does not want us to miss today. Uh, Just this week, I was having lunch with a friend, and one of the things that he said to me that really helped me was that so many times it's important for us to be reminded of those familiar things that we hear the old things over and over again because so many times those are the things that it's critical that we do not forget, right? And so today, I I want you to hear these things. For some of you, it's gonna be a great reminder. For others of you, God wants to use these words today, I believe, as a turning point for your life. In verses 22 and 23, we see two things that that are just true about the church. We're gonna look at one of these things today. We're gonna look at the other one next week. Here's the two things that we see, that Jesus is the head of the church, and that the church is his body. Jesus is the head of the church, and the church is his body. Now, these are very simple things. They're they're not um, concepts that maybe you're you're unfamiliar with, but today I want to look specifically at this idea, a very simple idea, that Jesus is the head of the church and what that means for us. If Jesus is the head of the church, why do we care? What difference does that make? It's got to be for us more than just some theological words or just a concept that we file away. When we live it out in our lives, it becomes really important. And here's, here's where... Um, just to be honest, I really kind of struggled in, in piecing all this together this week. Because so many times when, um, okay, look, it's a good practice that when you read scripture, you read it and think, how does this apply to my life? H- how do I get something out of this? I don't want to read the Bible just to read it out of obligation. When you open the Bible, you should say, Holy Spirit, what is it you want to speak to me? So oftentimes I look in that way, but what I found when I read this passage of scripture is that it's really not about me. In fact, this passage of scripture really isn't about the church. This passage of scripture is very simply about Jesus. It's about who he is, and it's about what he does in our lives. So today I wanna remind you that Jesus is the head of the church, and based on what Paul says here, there's four things I want you to see. Here's the first one. Number one, that Jesus is above all. That Jesus is above all. This is kind of a no-brainer for us. Actually, when you talk about the head, it's all brain, but you know what I mean. So here's, here's the deal. This is the first place where we've got to start. Paul uses this analogy quite a bit of Jesus as the head. He uses it in a physical sense. He uses it in a sense of authority. He uses it in a a sense of of understanding the, the body. And the deal is this. Where is your head? It is at the top of your body, right? If it's anywhere else, you have trouble. And this is where it is. And we have to be reminded of that. We we remember this in this picture. Uh, Last year, I had the opportunity to go to Madagascar, and one of the cool things that we did there was um, to participate in the grand opening of this church that had just been built. And it was a big deal. They had the mayor there. There was a band out front. They were were cutting the ribbon. It was this huge celebration, and we were the kind of honored guests from the United States that were there. And so before any of the events happened, they let us go inside, and we got to look around in the church. It was really It's a really cool experience, and one of the things I realized very quickly is that the people in Madagascar are not known for being very tall. 
And when they build their churches, they don't take into account Americans who might be visiting. And so we were in this building, and all of a sudden they said, hey, you got to get out of here because we were going to start things. Come on out. You don't want to miss this. And so we go looking out, and I'd been taking pictures. I had my phone out. I was taking pictures. And as I'm walking out, I didn't realize that the, the top of the door was right here on me. You know how I found out? Used my head. Because the head is the, the top of your body. And the point here is that Jesus is the head of the church. Listen to what Paul says, Ephesians chapter one, verse 22. It says, and God placed all things under his feet, so if they're under his feet, what is he? He is above them. He is over them. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over the church. Number one, Jesus is above all. He is over everything. He has all authority. He has all power. He is the one that we look to. When Paul wrote about this to the church in, in Colossae, he says this, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He expounds on this. He says, speaking of Jesus, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. When you read that, do you get the feeling that Jesus might be in charge? He's above all. He's the head over it all. And we can't miss this. This is kind of a reminder. Remember, we're in the end of this prayer that Paul prayed. And three weeks ago, when we talked about this, we talked about what kind of power he had. Do you remember when we had the four chairs and the four victim, the volunteers up here? Do you remember that? And we had the handcuffs and the spider and the helmet and the, and the, and the box at the end. By the way, if you were in second service, we had, we had the husband with the spider and the wife that was uh, disrespectful to the pastor. Do you remember that with the helmet? Do you remember that? They had their baby this week, uh, which was, I mean, we're just glad they, she didn't get the spider or they might have had it three weeks ago. So that was um, kind of a cool thing. So here we go with this process where it says that God has power. He's above all. And it's a reminder to us that Jesus has incomparable resurrection above all forever power. He has that. That's who he is. And if that's the case, then, then everything in life is in submission to him. Everything that we face is in control of him. He has the power, is in his control, actually. He has the power over all those things. So no matter what you face, no matter what you come up against, no matter what has an appointment with you tomorrow morning that you might not even know about, God has power over that. And if you understand that, it changes the way you live, doesn't it? It, it should. It, th think about it from this perspective for a moment. If you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, there's, there's multiple times where you see where Jesus' disciples are out in a boat. And while they're out in a boat, there's a storm that comes up. Do you remember those stories? There's one of them where the disciples are out in a boat, and Jesus is in the back, and the Bible tells us that he's fast asleep. He's laying on a cushion, and he's most likely um, having a holy snore back there. And what happens? This really rough storm comes up. The Bible says that it was the kind of storm where these experienced sailors feared that they would die. And they went to Jesus, and they said, Jesus, what are you doing? you got to wake up. There's this storm. How can you sleep through this? And do you remember what Jesus did? He freaked out and jumped overboard. Do you remember that? <laughs> what did he do? He spoke. 
He said, peace, be still. And what did the Bible say? Immediately, the storm stopped. There's this other story where Jesus needs a little break from the boys. And so he says to the disciples, guys, why don't you go ahead, um, get in the boat. You go on across. I'll rent a taxi. I'll meet you over there. And uh, you guys just, just go on ahead. They get out to the middle of the lake. And what happens? It says this strong wind comes up. And there's waves that are beating the boat. What do the disciples do? They start to freak out a little bit. They look out. What do they see? Jesus is walking across the water. Do they know it's him? No. They think it's a, anybody remember? It's a ghost. You can only tell that story in October. They think it's a ghost, right? What do they do? They freak out. Jesus gets up to them. It says this, that immediately when he steps in the boat, what happens to the winds? They, because he has this power over all of creation that when you face a storm, he can stop it. Do you think that eventually the disciples said, as long as Jesus is in the boat, we're gonna be okay? I mean, they knew what it was like to face fear, They understood that these were real storms. They understood that there were things that they needed to do. But as long as he was there, they knew that they could trust him to have the power to confront what it was that they were dealing with because storms should look different if you're in the boat with Jesus, right? Why? Because he is above all. He has all power. And yet some of you are letting the storms of your life paralyze you. You're letting the winds and the waves And the dark of night keep you from realizing that the one who's constantly with you has power over that. So you don't need it to cause you to be paralyzed with fear. It causes you to live with peace, even in the midst of a storm, because Jesus is above all. We can't miss this. We need to understand this because he's there in all of that, because he is the head of the church. He is above all. So how does that change the way that we live? Think about it maybe from this perspective, this is, this is gonna tell you just how old I am. I just pulled my wallet out, and some of you are like, oh, no, he's gonna take an offering. No, hang on a minute. Here's, here's the deal. I remember, does anybody remember a time when there were no debit cards? Do you remember that? That if you wanted to pay for something, I'm glad I'm not the only old guy in the room. If you wanted to pay for something, you had to have cash or a check, or you were gonna use a credit card. And if you didn't wanna you know, have that debt, you had to use cash, or you had to have a check. Or if you had terrible credit, you had to have cash or you had to have a check. I remember about the time that I was uh, in college um, getting married, they invented these things called debit cards. And I remember when I got my first one, this is mine now. I'm covering up the number with my fingers because I don't trust you. Um, (laughs) Most of you I trust, but that one person sitting next to you, not so much. And so... Here's the deal. This is my, I remember when I got that first one, and I was like, how's this, how's this thing work? And they were like, well, look, you use this debit card. You don't have to have cash. You don't have, to, you don't have to write out a check. You just use it like a credit card, but it comes from the money that you already have. And I'm like, that's super cool. I remember the first time I went up to a gas pump that would use one of these deals. I was the baddest man alive because you didn't have to have it on you. You just knew that you had it. Someone would say, hey, you owe me $20.42. I don't have any cash. I don't have a checkbook. You know what I have? I've got this thing. And with this thing, it tells me that I have this kind of resource in my account, at least after payday, I knew I had this kind of resource in my account that I could use to make it through what I needed. You realize that so many times we look at our lives and we think about what we don't have on us, the strength we don't have, or the power that we don't have, or the ability that we don't have, and realize that because Jesus is the head of the church and he's above all, he's got it paid for, right? 
He's the resource that you need. He covers that. So when you're in the midst of a storm, even though it feels like you do not have what you need, you have the one with you who has everything. You know why that's so important? Because some of you forget to live that way. Some of you live in a place where you allow your thoughts and your fears and your doubts and your bitterness and your past to keep you in the midst of a storm that Jesus simply wants to say to your spirit, be still, have peace. He can affect your thoughts if you'll just be reminded of this, that Jesus is above all because he is the head of the church. Number one, Jesus is above all. Number two, Jesus gives direction. Number two, Jesus gives direction. Look again at what Paul says about Jesus. Ephesians chapter one, verse 22. He says, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. So he is the one who's appointed to be the head. Where do we figure out what direction we're going to go in? The truth is this. You go in the direction you're looking in, right? Where you point your head is where you go. And here's the deal. Have you ever tried to walk one way and look the other? It just kind of messes you up. Some of you may be more coordinated than I am. I can't walk and chew gum at the same time. So there is no way that I can look one way and walk in another. You see this all the time in, in sports. There's a lot of analogies here for golfers, for baseball players. If you watch some football today, there's a good chance that you'll hear something about how the quarterback throws and where he's looking because where you set your sights, where your head goes, that's the direction that your body will go in. And this is key for us to see. Because if the body's trying to go in a direction that's different from where the head is leading, you're gonna find yourself at best looking awkward, at worst in a mess. The head is where we find our direction. And it's critical that we see this. That's why um, we are as a church in the midst of these 28 days of prayer. You know, God has given us a really unique season of, as a church where he is blessing us. He is giving us opportunity and especially as, as he's helping us to grow, we're growing spiritually, we're growing in numbers, and he is providing the, the opportunity and the resource and the, um, the vision for us to do even more. You know, our vision as a church is life change. We believe that God has allowed us to exist so that we can help people to experience the change that only comes in their lives through a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the point. That's what it's all about, right? Mm, that was on the T, and that's what it's all about, right? See, I, thanks. Too little, too late, but thanks. Here's the deal. If God's given us this opportunity, and I'm telling you, as we go into the new year, there are things that God has in mind for us to do as a church, but if we try to do them without his direction, are we wise? We cannot choose to move forward as a church unless we have God's direction and his empowerment and his resource and his help. That's why we are taking this time for 28 days of prayer. We've prayed for our world. We've prayed for our community. This week, I want you to pray for the church. In your bulletins today, there's an insert that's there that, uh, that maps out an area that we would love for you to pray every day this week. We've taken, actually, um, two of Paul's prayers from the book of Ephesians, the one that we've looked at in Ephesians chapter one, and then one that we actually looked at the first Sunday of 2015, the first Sunday of this year, from Ephesians chapter three. They're prayers that Paul prayed for the church that he loved, and it seems wise that we pray it for the church that we love. And here's what we, we do. When you pray God's word, you know you're praying his will, right? 
So you can pray with confidence. So what we ask you to do is over the course of this next week that you would take a portion of those prayers every day and say, God, how, how would you have me to pray this for the church, for Calvary's leadership, for the people that I know? And maybe that God will lead you to, to pray for a particular ministry. It may lead you that God will, will, will um, guide you to pray for the church in a certain way. He may challenge you to pray for the person sitting next to you. In some way, as you allow God's word to speak to you over the course of this next week, we pray God's word for the church, and we believe that as a result, he's going to give us direction. Why is this so important? Because if the body is not in alignment with the head, it goes in the wrong direction. True? If the body is not in alignment with the head, it's going to go in the wrong direction. I had to run out to the mall this week to pick something up, and I was, uh, you know, I'm, I'm extremely important and busy, and at least that's what I want people to think when I'm holding my phone. So, so I had this text come in. So it could have waited, but I'm cool enough to walk and text at the same time until <laughs> I almost took some lady out. Not like on a day, like knocked her over, I mean. And um, I'm walking, and this happens. And all of a sudden, I realized if I don't look at where I'm going, I'm going to go somewhere where I don't want to be. Because if the body is not in alignment with the head, it goes in the wrong direction. Why this is so important is because some of you have been finding the direction for your life everywhere but from God. And you've been resistant to allowing him to truly be the one that you go to for direction. And I know that this is, this is kind of gross maybe to talk about on a, on a Sunday morning, but here's, here's the deal. Some of you have been running around like this old analogy when we say that you're running around like a chicken with its... You've heard it before. If you look at the history of that, they, they see the earliest uses of that in the English language in America back in the, uh, the 19th century. When, and if you're not familiar with this, when the first Chick-fil-A's opened back in the 19th century, um, <laughs> what they would do, uh, man, you love that Chick-fil-A, don't you? And not today, they're closed. But here's the deal. They'd take the chicken, and when you kill a chicken, what do you do? You cut its head off. What does the chicken do? Just roll over and die? Runs around frantically because there's something that's left in it, but it goes in no real direction. It runs around like a chicken with its... Here's what you do when you try to live your life without realizing that Jesus is to be the head of your life, that he's the one that's supposed to give you direction. You spend your life running around like a chicken with its... That's some of us. And it's important for us to recognize that the reason we're struggling, the reason we're challenged, the reason why we feel like our life is headed in every direction but the right one is because we have been running around without really giving place to the one who should be the head in our lives, that Jesus is the one who gives us direction, which really leads to the third thing that we see today. Not only is Jesus above all and does Jesus give direction, here's the third thing, that Jesus gives us life, that Jesus gives us life. Look, when we talk about Jesus being above all, I want that to affect the way that you think, how you deal with your fears and your challenges. When I talk about Jesus giving direction, I hope that affects your action, how you live your life, that you allow him to be the one who directs you. But this idea that Jesus gives life, that goes right to our spirit, to our desires, to what we want out of life, and to who we really are. Because the Bible tells us this. Look, look again at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22. This, this time I want to read it from the New Living Translation because it gives it just a little bit of a different nuance. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, New Living Translation. It says, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things, listen to this, for the benefit of the church. That God has done this 
that he's given Jesus all power for a very clear reason. He's done it for you. He did it for the benefit of the church. He did it because he loves you. He did it because he wants you to have everything that you need. And he realizes this, that if you look for your source, if you look for your strength, if you look for your peace, if you look for your purpose anywhere outside of him, you're just going to be frustrated and disappointed. Ever been there? I have. Every time that I try to find, I don't know, who I am, any place outside of who he is, it just ends up in a place of frustration. You know why? Because Jesus is the one who gives life. And he has all this for your benefit. He wants it to be something that you experience. The head is the source. If you think about it on your body, it's where your thoughts come from. It's where your food goes in. You have a rough day without your head, don't you? You'd lose your head if it wasn't attached. Your mom ever tell you that? It'd be worse than that if it wasn't attached. He is the source because Jesus gives life. Listen to how Paul says it in the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 2, verse 19. He says, They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Here's the reality. There is no growth without the head. There's no growth without the head. So, so folks, I challenge you, you're going to find this in every area of your life. If you're not connected to Jesus, remember several weeks back where we talked about being yoked to him, being connected to him? If you're not in that place, if you're not living life with Jesus, you'll find that you can't grow. And I don't think that's just spiritually. I think it's going to affect your business. I think it's going to affect your family. I think it's going to affect your friendships. It's going to affect your everyday life. You will find that if you are not getting your life from that relationship with Jesus, you will struggle and be frustrated in every way. Because the Bible tells us very clearly, everything else that happens in our life grows out of that connection and relationship with him. There is no growth without the head. Look what Paul goes on to say. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6. He says, yet for us, there is but one God, the Father from whom all things came and for whom we live, and there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. He makes it very clear that we do not truly live until we acknowledge Jesus as the source of life. We do not truly live until we acknowledge Jesus as the source of life. And and maybe for some of you, Maybe you're new to church. Maybe this whole Christianity thing is something that's new to you. And I want to encourage you that Jesus came and said that he, he, he came to give us life, and life that's not mediocre, but life that's full. And you're never really going to know it. You're never really going to experience it until you allow him to be above all, to give you direction, to be the source of your life, to be that, that authority, that relationship, that head of your life. That's what changes everything. Paul said this to the people in Ephesus because they so desperately needed to hear it. Do you remember? We've talked about how in the city of Ephesus, it was a city that was filled with false idols. It was a city that had temples to other gods. We talked three weeks ago about how it was a place where people sought for spiritual power in so many different ways. And Paul said, look, the only place that you're really going to find this is in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And some of us can relate to that because it's not just true for Ephesus. It's true for Toledo. It's true for your life. And I don't know where you've looked for it. You've looked for it in a relationship. You've looked for it in prosperity. 
You've looked for it in your own strength. You've looked for it in someone else. Some of you look for it in just coming to church and getting a good feeling. And look, there's so much more to it than that. Real life is not truly found until you come into a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. Until you say, Lord, you are the one who is above all, who gives me direction, who gives me life, and anything else that I search for is just gonna end up leading me to a place where I'm frustrated and empty. And if you found that to be true, you can say amen, right? So where does that leave us? Paul says that because he is the head of the church, Jesus is above all, and Jesus gives direction, and Jesus gives life. That's why we share this with others. We're, we're excited about what God's doing in the church, not because we want to see more people in seats, but because we want to see more lives changed by the truth that it's in Jesus that lives are only changed. Amen? That's cool. That's good news. But those three, that he's above all, that he gives direction, that he is the source of life, all kind of culminate in this fourth one. This last one kind of sums it all up. In fact, to be simple, we probably just could have landed here today. If you want that direction, if you want that strength, if you want that life, if in your thoughts, your actions, and in your spirit, you want to know who he really is, then it brings us to number four. Number four, that Jesus is Lord. Because that sums it all up. That's the reality of what Paul is saying here. He's saying, look, if he is the head of the church, that means he's Lord over all. That means he's in control. That means that he's in charge. That means that he's the one from whom we get our direction. He's the one from whom we find our strength. He's the one who is the leader in my life. He is Lord where that gets really tricky is so many times we like to talk about the good news. We like to talk about what Jesus does for us, that he gives us forgiveness and that he gives us grace, that he gives us mercy, that no matter who we are or what we've done, we can find hope in him. We can find purpose in our life. Those are all great things, right? It's because he's our savior. But sometimes we wanna take the savior part but just add it on to wherever else we are. We wanna have that without realizing that he says, look, I'm your savior and your salvation is free. You can't earn it, you'll never deserve it, you can't pay for it, but here's what it is. You can have it, it's a free gift, but Jesus says what I want is all of you because you'll never truly know it and experience it until you make me not just your savior but also your Lord. Acts chapter two, verse 36, on the day of Pentecost, Peter's preaching and he says this, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. That word Messiah is, is savior. He's the one who gives us forgiveness and gives us grace and gives us life, but he's not just Messiah. He's Lord as well, and he is the one who desires to lead your life. So the question is, is he Lord of your life? Do you just want the good stuff that he can bring, or are you willing to entrust him with your everything? Is he your Lord and your Savior? Jesus desires to be both. I, I talk to folks every so often. In fact, not too long, I had a conversation with somebody who, as we were talking about this truth, said, Chad, you know, I, I know what you're saying is right. I know it's true. I know that God wants all of me. I know that that's the right thing. I know there's things in my life that I'm holding on to. 
This relationship, that habit, this sin, that thought, that thing in the past, that hope for the future, I'm holding on to this thing, and it's not God's best for me. In fact, his desire is that I would, would let that go and hold truly to him, and I know that that's the right thing. I'm just, I'm not so sure I'm ready for that. I don't know that I want to do that, which is basically them saying, I want all the good stuff he can give to me, but I really don't want to make him my Lord. In fact, the truth is, it could be that you're, you're sitting in this room or you're watching this message and you're thinking that yourself. God, I know you're real and I know what you want. God, I'm just not so sure that I'm ready. Um, God, I'm not so sure that I can. I'm not so sure that it's, I don't know if I can make you my Lord. Philippians chapter two, verse nine, here's what Paul says. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Did you see what it said there? Did it say that some of the knees would bow? Did it say that the tongues that choose to will confess? It said that every knee would bow. It said that every tongue would confess, that all of us at some point are gonna acknowledge this truth, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And here's the deal. If that's going to happen someday, I'd really like to get ahead of the curve. Before that day when I stand before him, when I'm face to face with him, I don't want that to be the first time that I bow my knee. I want to be used to saying that word because it's inevitable that I'm going to say it. So why fight it? Why miss out on all of the direction and the strength and the life that he can bring if I will just acknowledge that he is Lord? Because here's the truth from Philippians chapter two. Whether you acknowledge him or not, Jesus is the Lord of your life. Whether you're willing to admit it, whether you're willing to express it, whether you grasp it or not, whether you choose to acknowledge him or not, Jesus is the Lord of your life. So why not get ahead of the curve? Why not recognize it today? Because if you will you will realize that there is hope and strength and life and peace like you will find in no other place. You can't just pick and choose whether you acknowledge him or not. Jesus is the Lord of your life. However, some of you like to view him in a certain way. There's a toy that is probably one of the most iconic toys that is out there. I had it when I was a kid. You may have played with them. The Toy Story movie has just kind of branded this thing. Did anybody ever have or play with the Mr. Potato Head? Do you know what I'm talking about? Isn't he cute? He's awesome. You know why we love him? Because we can do whatever we want with him. Admit it. How many of you ever took him and put an ear where the nose should be? Anybody? Yeah, you did it. Because you're good. You move things around. No shave November, he had the mustache. December, you popped it off, right? Because you can do whatever you want with him. You can take him and shape him and make him the head that you want him to be. Jesus is not your potato head. right? He's the head of the church. But we can't take away and add to him what we want. We can't make the gospel fit where we're at. Here's the bottom line. He, he's the Lord, not just your Savior. And if you want that strength, and if you want that direction, and if you want that life, then if you've been willing to say, Jesus, I need you to be my Lord, Great missionary Hudson Taylor said it in this way. If he is not Lord of all, then he's not really Lord 
at all. If he's not Lord of all, then he's really not Lord at all. So what do I do? Romans chapter 10, verse nine. That if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. He makes it really simple. Say, Jesus, I need you to be my Lord. So here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I'm gonna ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. And look, here's, here's what I believe about God's word today. I, I believe that for some of you, it's been a really um, encouraging reminder of who Jesus is. Always good to hear. For some of you, this has been really on target with some things that are going on in your life. And you needed to be reminded of what it means for Jesus to be the head of the church. And for some of you, today could be a hinge. It could be a turning point in your life. And a day where you respond in a way that's gonna make an eternal difference. So let me talk to some different people with heads bowed and eyes closed. And, I, and I'd ask that if, if you're in the room that nobody move around for the next couple of minutes. Look, for some of you, when I talked about the fact that Jesus is above all, you were reminded of the storm that you've been in. It might just be a season. Maybe it's been your whole life. But you know what it's like to experience that fear and that uneasiness. And you really needed to be reminded today that in the midst of that storm, Jesus is above all. He has all power. He has all authority. He comes with that above all power, power, and can make a difference in our lives like nothing or no one else. But instead, you've been hanging on to your fears and you've been hanging on to your doubts. And today, what you really need to do is stop those thoughts that rob him of who he really is and remind yourself that Jesus is in the boat. And he can speak peace to your storm and he can speak change to your life. What you need to do, though, is to be willing to bow the knee and say, Jesus, you are Lord of all. And for some of you, even though we chuckled, there was no better uh, expression for where your life is right now than you feel like a chicken with its head cut off. What you need is direction. And as good as it is to read some books and as great as it is to get advice from others, what you really need is to say, Jesus, I'm trying to go in my own direction, but this body needs to follow you as the head. I need your direction in my life. I don't want to frantically bolt from thing to thing anymore. I need your direction. And the best thing that you can do today is to bow the knee and say, Jesus, I make you Lord of my life. For some of you, when we talked about Jesus being the one that gives life, it was a moment where you recognized that the frustration that you're facing or that the doubts that you have have left you frustrated, they've left you challenged, you've chased after stuff or people or status or hope 
in things that just will never provide that short of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And what you desperately need to do is to affirm and say, Jesus, I need your life in mine. I'm not gonna search for it in any other place before I find it in you. And today, the very best thing that you could do would be to bow the knee and say, Jesus, I make you Lord of all. Some of us, even though we show up in church every Sunday and we... um, live a life that sure looks Christian on the outside, there's places on the inside where Jesus has been a potato head to us. And we've let him as head of our lives only look the way that we want it to look. And his spirit is speaking very clearly to you today. And he's saying, look, reality check. Truth is, if I'm not Lord of all, then I'm not Lord at all. So I gotta be Lord over those thoughts. And I've gotta be Lord over those actions. And you've gotta let my Lordship be over your job and your family and your relationships. When you're confronted with that sin, you've gotta remember that I'm Lord of your life. Because until you do, you're never gonna know what it's like. Because if he's not Lord of all, then he's really not Lord at all. And for some of you, like I said, this is a good reminder. But I guarantee you that at least for one of you, this is a turning point. And you need to do more than just hear this. You need to act on it. I'm going to invite everyone uh, that's, whether you're watching this online, maybe you're seeing this on TV, maybe you're right here in the room. I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and I'm going to invite you to pray this with me. And especially for those of you that are kneeling here at this altar, I want want you to pray this prayer. So dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus, for sending your son to die for my sins. And I acknowledge today, Jesus, you are above all. So I give you my fears. I give you my thoughts. Be Lord over them today. And Jesus, you give direction. Bring guidance to my life. I submit myself to you. I look to you, Jesus, to be the source of my life. So forgive my sins. Change my life. I give it to you today. I make you Lord of my life, Lord of all my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's my prayer. My prayer is that for some of you, what we heard today is going to resonate throughout this week. I also believe this, that for many of you, it was a turning point. And like for those of you especially that are here, God's doing something unique in your life. And I don't know why. It may be a moment of decision. It may even be that this is the first time that you've responded in this way to say, Jesus, I make you Lord of my life. If that's the case, I want to encourage you to stop by our Connection Center. We have a Bible we want to give to you. We want to talk to you a little bit more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We're going to continue to leave this as a, as a place that folks want to continue to pray. You're welcome to do that as you're here. But go this week and know that Jesus is Lord of all. Father, as we go, we ask that you'd go with us. Send us out with your special favor and your wonderful peace. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.